And right now, here is Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How's my friend? I'm great. Last week, in our weekly serial of everything that went on in the Old West, we were talking about cowboys. Yes, and if you want to ruin your lunch, go ahead and listen to last week's uh, show. Uh, what about this week's show? Uh, not too bad. You, oh. You'll be able to eat after this okay. one. Yeah, well, you never really did discuss about the food and the hygiene and everything last week. No, and I, I'm i not going to hit that this week either. Oh, so you're going to help me save my sponsors. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, you know, we talked about the Cowboys. This is kind of part two of uh, talking about some of the ca- real honest-to-goodness, not Hollywood or movie Cowboys. You mean they're not Lauren Green and Bonanza? Dressed to the nines and no dirt on their shirt? No. I'll be. You know, at least once a year, a cowboy drew the duty of what they call line riding. Yeah. Okay. Now, most large ranches were too big to be manned from their central buildings alone. Uh Almost like a little country, so to speak. They needed outposts. Uh, there was one ranch, for instance, that had outposts spout, spotted every six or eight miles around the 60-mile perimeter. Now, that's a big ranch. That's a big ranch. Yeah. Now, in the days before barbed wire, and even sometimes after that, the boss uh, uh, was a wire hater, you know, and uh, sometimes they cut fences. They, You know, barbed wire was... Uh, Good and bad, I guess you could say. Well, when it was introduced, it brought a lot of ill feelings, and there was a lot of range wars over the you know, the bringing up of barbed wire. Right, because the guys that usually run their cattle through yep, there yep. weren't able to. Yep. So, But anyway, these line riders patrolled between their stations, yep. and they formed a kind of a living fence, if you want to call it that, around the owner's range. Now, in addition to these efforts to prevent cattle from straying off the home grass, the line rider performed other chores like uh, getting the new calves away from their moms or uh, from the alkaline water, watching out for rustlers, uh, hunting for uh, and poisoning wolves, mountain lions. and Oh, my goodness. You don't mean to tell me they actually killed wolves. No, I think they caged them and I took see. them Yeah, somewhere. took them to the greenies in California. <laughs> right. But, in fact, they were thought that even eagles were prone to attack a small calf. I believe that. On occasion. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that could happen. Yeah. But the line rider was also expected to take uh, note of pasture conditions for the boss for his information and on a ranch located near a railroad a hand a guy would be assigned to patrol the tracks chasing cattle off of the right-of-way and keeping a record of the cows that were run down and hit by the train so that they could uh, give an itemized bill to the railroad. See, I told you cows were dumb. <laughs> so they did get reimbursed for those cows, I guess. Yeah. So, anyway, life at the line camps was even more primitive than the lowliest bunkhouse, and we talked about that last week. Uh, in fact, such camps consisted of no more than a dugout stra- uh, scratched from the side of a hill. When a man was alone in a crude dwelling for weeks at a time, you can imagine the boredom had to be overwhelming. You know, stop right there, because, you know, if there's one or two guys all winter long in a line shack. One of them ain't coming out alive. <laughs> I'm going to make you love it. Talk about that. <laughs> anyway, there's one particular uh, veteran hand. Uh, he remembered a cowboy who spent an entire winter alone in a shack, and it was papered with old newspapers and farm journals. Yeah. So the man read the north side of the of the shack. He read the south and east and west walls and was just getting ready to start on the ceiling when spring broke. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what else sakes. do you do? Yeah, really. Uh, in fact, other hands, uh, uh, they'd read the labels on tomato or condensed milk cans. 
Now, <clears throat> you talk about being together. You know, wait a minute, though. It's surprising a lot of people that did this job. They weren't absolutely Looney Tunes because staying in a building after you've been out during the day in a blizzard or something, making sure that all the calves were in pretty good shape, et cetera, mothered up, et cetera. Woo! Yeah. All night in the dark in that room? Well, there's a story told that when uh, there were two men that were in a line camp for a long period, and they, you know, this could get pretty terrible on each other's nerves. Oh, uh, you obviously. think? Now, Can you imagine you and I in a line shack? Neither one of us would make it out alive. <laughs> That's right. Well, this story says that uh, there were a pair in a lonely camp, and one night they heard bellowing noises in the night. Yeah. So they're laying there in the dark. One of them suggested bull. The other said, sounds like an old steer to me. Not another word was spoken, and the two went to bed. The next morning, one of the cowboys started packing up his horse, leaving. Asked his companion, yes, came the answer, too much arguing. Are you serious? Because one said bull. One said steer. (laughs) Steer. Too much arguing. Not going to stick around. Independent lot, weren't they? (laughs) They were. Yeah. You know, but the slowest time around a ranch was winter, and by late November, two of every three ranch hands were laid off until the workload picked up again in the spring. Wow. And most of these uh, unemployed guys uh, uh, housed up with buddies in town and took temporary jobs like bartending or blacksmithing, just, you know, whatever to get through the winter. Yep. But for those who remained on the ranch, the most important job was the grueling business of going out from time to time to be sure that cattle were not starving or freezing to death or both. Now, cattle are not the smartest animal out there. Oh, my goodness. You don't uh, imagine. And But they had a stubborn, kind of mindless tendency to stand shivering and hungry in deep snow rather than trying to find food. Yeah. So bundled in their bulky buffalo coats, these men would ride out and on the trails to the hillsides and where the wind had blown snow off the grass, uh, they'd turn and drive the cattle to these spots yeah. where the snow had been cleared off. And the cowboys also had to chop through snow, crust, and ice so the cattle could drink because they cattle did not uh, eat snow for water. For Some animals do, I guess, yeah. but... Uh, um, now, I, I read a story that's not in this one today, but uh, where some cowboys were out and it got so cold, their horses froze right Right under them. You know, the thing that surprises me back in those days, we're talking 150, 160 years ago, they didn't have the insulated boots. They didn't have the warm coats. They didn't have the Carhartt clothing. They didn't have the warm gloves. It's amazing to me, especially their feet, that they didn't have more frostbite and lose more cowboys because of frostbite. Yeah, and who knows? I'm sure that had to have happened. Oh, my Especially if a guy got lost, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. But one wintertime assignment did offer some excitement and even reward. In cold months when the pickings were slim among natural game on the range, wolves became a particularly bold in, uh, in stalking after the cows. Yeah. And moving in packs, they would disable a cow by severing the hamstring in his hind leg. Yep. Then they'd move in to finish it off. Um, one guy was hired by a ranch in Texas to shoot wolves at a salary of $35 a month plus five bucks, $5 uh, bounty offered uh, by the county governor, government. Uh, the rancher, in addition, paid him with food, four to eight horses, two rifles, a Colt 45, and all the ammunition he needed. Yep. So, uh, for the most part, however, the wintertime chores of the cowboy were, it was kind of drudgery, you know, I mean, hauling firewood and uh, dragging tree stumps. Yeah, with, but they uh, were looking forward to those three square meals a day. And they, that's exactly right, because yep. that's the only thing they had coming in. That's right. 
But, uh, you know, they hung in there and did this tedious work until spring came. And Now, especially in the north, the annual rite of the spring was the roundup. Yep, big roundup. Big roundup. And yep. now, the, and this might be a good place to stop, Zeb, if you want to. I want to do a commercial, but let me say something. I think one of the greatest movies that was ever produced, and the original was good, but I don't think it was good as the remake, was the movie Marty Walsh. Marty Walsh originally was uh, starring Lee Marvin as Marty Walsh. And then the remake was with Tom Selleck. And I thought the remake was better of the actual Cowboys life on the ranches back in those days. And I thought Tom Selleck sold it much better than Lee Marvin did. It was a good movie. I'll have to look that one up. Look it up. It's excellent. By the way, we're going to talk a little bit about windows and upgrade your windows right now at Minicasha Sales. They've got the western windows that will save on your heating and cooling bills. Zach and the rest of the crew can help you with your lumber and everything, all your carpet needs. I mean, they are so good at Minicasha Sales. Nice people, too. Stop in, visit with them, tell them what you need, tell them what your needs are. They can help you at 1321 East Main street in burley right across from the airport or give them a call 878-2091 zach and the rest of the crew at minicasha sales bringing you doctor history okay the you know especially like I said in the north the annual rite of spring roundup and of course this is where all the cowboys got together they scoured the range and then sorted out the cattle yep. that had wandered and intermingled during the winter now in the southwest uh with it being dry and kind of sparse, uh, the cattle tended to group themselves around water holes, and they usually didn't stray that far yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, now, however, in the north, uh, because of the plains the way it was, uh, it was overstocked, it was overgrazed, the cattle were forced to cross divides and mix with other herds, and to find new grass and water. And uh, anyway, in that vast land, you know, a roundup required planning, almost like a military campaign. Absolutely. So, in fact, in 1886, it came to pass that there were uh, 175 members of the Montana Stock Growers Association. They gathered in Miles City. And Montana Territory, uh, to map out that spring's roundup, um, also in hand, there was a military band from a nearby fort, which led a parade, a uh, hundred cowboys going down the street, big, this big celebration yeah, almost. Yeah. Throwing what town hat. was that in in Montana? Ma- Miles City. Ma- oh, there you go, You've right been there. there. Been there and spent two weeks there one night. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so here's the cowboys, you know, in this parade, they're throwing their hats in the air, they're showing off their new clothes that yep, they bought. Yeah. Uh, uh, quite a festive atmosphere, uh, but it was a serious affair. Um, so, anyway, in an area as big as Pennsylvania, huge area, oh, yeah. all these cattle had to be gathered up. Uh, and actually for a total of more than one million head of cows all out there on the range. Uh, so, at all, as at all these roundups, even the smallest, these animals had to be gathered up. Uh, next, uh, you know, they'd pull in the new calves and count them and brand them. And at the same time, the males were brought in and castrated and, and uh, dehorned if necessary. Um, and to help them gain weight, uh, you know, the uh, uh, castration and uh, dehorning actually helped them to gain weight. Yeah. So... 
but they had to be doctored. Uh, some of the healthy ones, uh, like say, were dehorned. Uh, finally, all the strayed cattle would be separated into individual groups and driven home, which was a huge job. There were some 4,000 different recorded brands yeah, and mixed in that. There were a lot of tensions during that time because so-and-so saying that so-and-so got their calves and so-and-so says, no, you got mine and, and that type of thing. And then there was also the guys who would try to change a brand. Oh, my goodness, you know, yes, with so, the old running irons. Yeah, yeah. But this one particular area by Mile City, they broke it up into 17 areas. One area was 130 miles by 30 miles. Oh, my. And those cowboys had to go through that whole thing. Um, anyway, but uh, anyway, the, for three days while waiting for uh, latecomers, the cowboys would amuse themselves by racing horses or one thing or another. And anyway, they finally got headed out, and uh, they knew for at least the next six weeks they would never get enough sleep. And they were right. So in the early morning of the next day, the cook went around, woke everybody up, and got them moving. And said, come on, boys, we're headed out. And that's what they did. And the cook, you never have really explained that too much, but I know that in future programs, the cook, he was almost like God. Everybody looked up to a good cook. And you did not want to get on his bad side. Never. Because you may not know what's in that soup. It happened in Monty Walsh, the movie, too. Did it? Uh, have you ever heard X-Lax? <laughs> yeah, I sure have. Okay, so did they. <laughs> okay. So here we are. These cowboys are getting up every day at 3.30 in the morning. They each selected uh, from his string of six horses uh, uh, an animal that they felt was in, uh, could endure the day, you know. And they would use that horse all morning. And as the sun came up, they would head out. And uh, anyway, the cowboys often logged 35 miles just in the morning. Oh, yeah. And they would come back in. Uh, they would uh, uh, change horses. They were, of course, starving. And they would have a great meal. Now, according to an unwritten law... Uh, a rancher killed one of his own beeves uh, with the operation, um, and that was considered good luck. Mm-hmm. And the chuck wagon guy, he'd the cook, he'd cook up a barbecue, this fresh beef, uh, which had to be had to be very very good. I would think. Oh, I'll tell you, cowboys in in old days and today, they always look forward to fresh biscuits. Yeah. Well, and uh, the cook made uh, an assortment of puddings and oh. pies. I mean, that, that would have been a good meal. Oh. So then the, after the meal, they, they would choose uh, another horse. Now, this is, uh, I find this interesting, the, uh, a specially trained horse for roping, separating, or cutting certain cattle from yep. the main herd. Yep. Uh, the best cutting horses were so alert, and you've seen pictures of these and seen these guys in action. The best horses were so alert and intelligent that their riders... A lot of times you just let the reins go, and uh, in fact, a mounted man would often drop the reins uh, to the saddle horn and steer with his knees alone. Well, we were in the cutting horse business for a while, my son, my wife, and myself, and there is nothing, and I, I, I love to rope, but there's nothing like riding a good cutting horse. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, as soon as the rider showed the horse what calf or steer he wanted to cut out of the herd, the horse's ears would begin to twitch, his eyes would be glued on that animal, and uh, he would get, uh, cut that cow out. And, of course, uh, then he would, uh, the cowboy could rope the, the cow and bring it over, drag it over to where it's going to be worked on with Brandon and one thing or another. So, but whatever a calf or unbranded steer got unreasonably close to the fire, uh, the pursuing cowboy uh, was using his rope to capture this, and a loop carelessly thrown 
around the and wrapped around the saddle horn, you might be losing a thumb or a finger or both. Well, that's true today, though. I it mean, is. anybody that ropes uh, on a frequent basis. Now, I broke all my fingers. See that little finger right there? <laughs> yeah. That's been caught in a dally, too. And it's the easiest way in the world to start to learn to eat with your other hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that happened back then. It still happens oh, today. Oh, absolutely. So, well, toward the end of the afternoon, the chuck wagon would head off to a night camp. And after the branding was finished, the crew and the cattle followed. And after a nice, fine meal of the day, a, a few unlucky riders prepared to guard the herds in shifts throughout the night while the rest of the crew bedded down. Now, before turning in for the night, and I didn't know this, but the cook pointed the tongue of the chuck wagon yep, at the North Star. toward the North Star. Yep. And this gave the trail boss a sure compass heading in the morning. Yeah, that's w- right. Which direction that's to go? That's right. That was, that was something that you'd read in any book that had any merit whatsoever. They always did that. Yeah. Now, the co- cowboys, of course, they were exhausted after spending 15 or more hours in the saddle. Sleep didn't come real easily. They were on the hard ground. Uh, a lot of times, all they had was a quilt. Uh, they tossed and turned. And if they were near any kind of water, the mosquitoes had just about eat them up. Oh, yeah. Just about eat them up. Either that or in the southwest, a lot of times they'd wake up in the morning and they had a visitor in their bedroll, (laughs) and he sometimes rattled. (laughs) Yes. And, uh, yeah, that that was a little scary. Yeah. What uh, else are you going to tell me about? Well, uh, I'm trying to find it. Give me a minute. <laughs> are you not organized I'm today? organized. I'm just... Okay, uh, go ahead. I was just going to talk a little bit about the saddle. Oh, okay. I mean, the, you know, the single most important piece of equipment uh, that the cowboy was, was most concerned was his saddle. Right. I mean, for months at a time, he sat in it all day and sometimes half the night. And when he finally laid down at night to rest at the end of the day, uh, he used the saddle as a pillow. That's right. And uh, so indispensable was this to his life and life livelihood that the phrase he sold his saddle came to mean that a cowboy was finished yep. he was done he was done toast kind of like kicking the bucket i guess yep. i don't know there it is but uh anyway unlike the horse which was supplied by the employer the saddle was the cowboy's own personal property and they'd cost they could be expensive uh cost a guy a month's pay for a for a saddle yeah. and uh, but it would work for 30 years yeah. you know a good saddle if they took care of them yeah yeah. But the Western saddle actually evolved on the plains. Uh, they think it came from the Spanish conquistadors. That's exactly right. Vaqueros. Yeah. The American cowboy designed a lot of his equipment from the Spanish vaqueros. Right. Or the Mexican vaqueros. And and these saddles sometimes weighed 40 pounds. Now, the old ones, and I didn't realize this, some of them were uh, covered with a brocaded silk velvet. I've got a picture of one of those, and you know what I ought to do? I've got a picture of all the old equipment from the Old West. Yeah. I ought to get that out for you sometime. Now, don't ask me to just walk to the <laughs> shelf and get it, because you can see my wide array That's of shelves. Right. Yes, and v- well organized. Thank you very much. But anyway, in closing, I know we're running out of time, but uh, uh, the cowboy actually changed that old s- the, the Spanish saddle yeah. so that the cantle and the, and the saddle horn were a little more usable, and then they, instead of using that uh, uh, the uh, silk or the velvet they used uh, leather right. to, to cover right. but uh, you know a carefully crafted uh, a good saddle I know when I w- uh, was younger my first saddle that I bought uh, the first time I tried it it was the most miserable uncomfortable worst saddle I'd ever sat in 
But uh, my wife had Bob Severe make me a custom-made saddle. Old Severely. And I could sit in that saddle all day long. I'll tell you, he loves to hear that kind of a testimonial. (laughs) He's got his ears next to the radio right now. Hello, Severely. Well, now the other thing, you know, a poor saddle could cause saddle sores on the horse. Yeah. And if you had a good saddle... You could go all day long, and it fit the, the horse the way it was supposed well, to. Well, not every saddle is going to fit every horse. That's true. That's true. And not every butt's going to fit every saddle. <laughs> that's that's a true statement, too. That's why you need a custom-made saddle. There you go. To you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's do this again next week. Only we, let's talk a little bit more about maybe the food, and I don't care whatever you want to talk about okay. hygiene or which was there wasn't much. <laughs> you didn't have to wash your they hands. They took before a you bath ate. when they crossed the river. That's right, or a good rainstorm. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. uh, that was good, Doc. I always appreciate you. And uh, really, what were you planning on next week? You know, I. I I may go another session with the Cowboys. I'll just yeah. have to see what I can come up with. Some of the movies came fairly close to what the Cowboy life was like. And I'll go back to Monty Walsh. I thought they really did a good job uh, portraying the loneliness and portraying the living together in a bunkhouse and the fights and the uh, some of the Cowboys turned to be wrestlers, which they yeah. did in real life, and how they had to be dealt with. I mean, it wasn't exactly all peaches and cream and all this legend it was kind of serious stuff now one thing i have read about tom Selleck is when he did a western movie he wanted everything exactly in in period costume from the saddles to the gear to the everything he did and uh, he is very demanding on that and i respect him for that because it's not a bonanza tv show it is not there you go 